0: that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking of the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at Rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you. I mean, he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church. And we love Jesus, and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us, and we're glad you're here.
1: Lord, I pray that you would give me the words to speak, not a single idle word that's not from you. And so, Lord, I pray as we get into this that you would increase and that I would decrease. And we ask it in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So as I was preparing for this the last week or two, um, really the topic I want to talk about is so prevalent in the Bible. I really struggled to figure out where to go. It's just like, Lord, um, it's everywhere. And there's so many good examples I don't know where to go and um, the way the Holy Spirit works, I encountered a conversation with a very godly man at work um, who happened to bring it up. So I want to start with a picture. Now this is a real story that I'm going to set up. Some of you might have known this story. I'm sure, I'm sure some of you have heard it. But I had not really heard the detail of it till this week and it impacted my life tremendously. So let's say for a moment that it's the middle 1800s and you're a businessman you're a very successful lawyer you own a ton of properties in downtown Chicago you're very wealthy life is good you've got five children one boy that's named after you and four girls okay you are also extremely active in your local body of believers in downtown Chicago so much in fact that it is literally built into your reputation like people know you because you walk with Jesus okay so that's the that's a, a small setup of this guy okay he's a he's such a serious christian he's got he's got international evangelists that are good friends of his that visit his home when he's in Chicago, when they're in Chicago rather. And so let's just say you open your house to people frequently, you're doing all the godly stuff. And so let's say in the middle of all that and everything is going so well, your four-year-old son, who's named after you by the way, he gets scarlet fever and he dies. Okay, So I'm sure the family is struggling through that. One year after that, the great Chicago fire happens. And pretty much all of the money that you've invested over the years, all of your fortune is now gone for the most part as well. But your family, you and your family commit to staying in Chicago to live and to minister to the people, the over 100,000 people, that ended up homeless and in need of love and care. So you decide to stay in Chicago. So a year into that grueling, absolute gospel-centered labor, one of your friends, D.L. Moody, very well-known national, international evangelist, is going to be preaching in London. So you decide we need a break my family, we're all going to take a little small vacation. We're going to head to London. So watch our friend preach, be with believers over there. It'll be good. It's what the family needs. Well, some business stuff happens. And all the properties that you owned from the Chicago fire, there's still lots of paperwork, lots of business to be conducted. You can't leave yet. So your wife and your four daughters get on a ship headed to London. Okay. Halfway across that journey, another ship collides. And the ship that all four of your daughters and your wife on sinks. They discover the, the wife was rescued. She was unconscious, floating on a piece of wood. And all four daughters, ranging from ages five to ages 12, are now dead the telegraph that the gentlemen were talking about the telegraph this man received was from his wife and it said survived alone there's, a few, there's some other things that say it might have said a few other things but survived alone so fa- fast forward two years And you have three more children. One boy who's also named after you and two more girls. I said two years, I'm sorry. It's been several years, six, seven years later. But the second son also dies of another disease. So I want to set that up. I'm not going to tell you the man's name yet. I'm not going to tell you anything about what happened to his life after that but set that scene in your mind. You are so in love with Jesus that it literally encapsulates your reputation and the weight of losing your entire family in one instance, I, can't, I, don't, I don't know how to process it. Maybe some of us today haven't experienced that level of tragedy, and maybe some of us have. I know there are people in this room right now who have family members that just came out of surgery, who have family members that are getting ready to go into surgery. I myself have a family member who probably won't make it through the holidays. You know, this walk, this life is heavy. And really suffering and tragedy are something that have been synonymous with the church from the very beginning. It's only really recent in church history. It's only really recently in church history within the last several hundred years that this whole health and wellness and prosperity and name it and claim it and all that junk that lacks any strife or trial or struggle, that's all fair. all fairly recent and totally not biblical. So just for a quick look, we're going to read just a few scriptures, just to kind of bathe in where this concept's coming from. So, James says in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. That's the New Living Translation version. What I have up there is the ESV. Notice James didn't say if. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come, when troubles come, of any kind come your way. Consider it an opportunity for joy. Job used the verbiage, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. The Apostle Paul says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's not a verse about winning the Super Bowl. That's a verse from a man in prison who is laboring his life away for the sake of the gospel. Probably a very solidified reason why we are sitting in this room today, 4,000 miles away from where the Apostle Paul's ministry was, it's because of the sacrifices and the suffering that he gladly gave in forsake in for of the gospel. Or maybe much like the sailors on the boat in Jonah chapter 1. It's been quite a while since we were in that sermon series. But the terrifying storm that was hurled from the Lord, it accomplished Jonah's repentance. But that storm was also there for the repentance of the sailors. Even someone else's storm can create repentance and goodness in your life. And even kind of our theme verse uh, that we've really, the pastor team, have really adopted here lately for just the climate that it's been at rest, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Man, I can't read that verse without thinking without thinking about what the last few months have been like being in this church. You know, the, the amount of need that's been here has pretty has been very astonishing. And the amount of service that people have rendered in that need have also, in my opinion, been equally as astonishing. But it has been tough. I can tell you from from a pastor's point of view of things that I've just, I never understood the spiritual mantle of what some of that means. And I've never understood the weight of watching somebody suffer and wanting so badly to be able to do something for them and just knowing that loving them and encouraging them and wrapping them with the love of Jesus is more help than you could ever imagine in this life. Did you know that what Scripture says is that the rest of the world will know we are the church by the way we love each other? So, one thing I know that Rest Church is doing is loving each other, but man, it's tough. This is a tough season. It's cheerful, and honestly, there is a lot of people that are bebopping around and having a good time. And there is—I've I've literally have spoken to a man that I work with this week who is struggling with exactly what this service, what this sermon, excuse me, are about. And see, while the Bible is completely clear on the fact that calamity, hardship, challenge are absolutely without question coming. It's not, even, it's not an if, it's not, a, it's not a maybe. If you walk with Jesus, suffering will come it will come if it hasn't came yet it will and that's why this body of believers is so important to be plugged into because no matter what happens no matter what comes Christ promises us as we'll keep learning as we go no matter the level of struggle that comes not one dot of it will go unnoticed by the king. Not one dot. Not one dot of pain that you feel like you felt in your life that was unjust because of just the nature of the, the sin-ridden world that we live in. Things happen that shouldn't happen. Things happen that we feel justified shouldn't. Things happen that we wish wouldn't. Things even, you know, you, you hear all the time, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? And that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing. But the truth is, is that if suffering for the saints was not something that God had intended in his wisdom to build us in our direction of becoming more like Christ If it wasn't something he would use, he wouldn't have allowed it. He wouldn't have allowed it. And see, while the Bible is super clear that hardship and strife and pain are coming to the believer, the thing that's even more clear on than that is the hope that we can have in Jesus for when it comes. See, hope isn't a feeling. It isn't something you can conjure up. It's not something you can just try to have. Hope is really a tangible thing. And it really only comes from the Lord. It's like the same thing as joy. You can't have real, the definition of what real joy means, you can't have it if you don't know Jesus. You might be happy, you might have a little bit of an emotion, but you won't know joy. And you won't know hope either. Not without Jesus. See, it would be hard to know God as a healer if you or somebody you loved never needed healing. It's going to be impossible to know God as deliverer if you had never realized that you were in bondage and in slavery to your own sin. And the world around you It would be impossible to know God as provider if you had never known what it meant to lack. And that doesn't just mean financially. It doesn't just mean what you're eating or what you're playing or what you're wearing. When I say lack, I mean lack. I mean the people in this room I know that that, that desperately want the love of a father. He's there for you. Who desperately want the love of... You know, just every type of love you can imagine is found in the person of Jesus. He is where our hope is. See, the Apostle Paul gives us a very clear definition of where hope is forged. Because it's forged. Hope is something that is brought up on by experience. And that experience is knowing Jesus. And Paul lays out for us in Romans chapter five exactly where hope comes from. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And I mean, here we see we rejoice in our sufferings again. That's a hard concept, church. That's a hard concept. But we see that suffering has been designed by God to produce endurance and steadfastness. As you grow and learn how to endure in spite of your feelings, and your struggles and emotions. Paul tells us that it's all designed to produce a godly character in us. The only hope we have for anything is in Jesus. God's wisdom in allowing us to suffer is a disguised blessing in showing us that nothing in this world, in this lifetime, can satisfy us. I mean, even the Apostle Paul, he says, he says, if there was no hope of the resurrection, if there was no hope of the life that were to come, and this life is the only life that we as believers have to hope in, then we are of all people most to be pitied. Most to be pitied if we don't have the hope of the resurrection that is coming to sustain us, to pull us through, to, to guarantee that no matter what we suffer in this life, if we keep pushing forward toward the call of Jesus and toward the cross, you know, you hear the Calvary Road You hear what that means? He literally said, "Pick up your cross and follow me." You can read all through the New Testament where people are just like, that, "That's that's too heavy, Jesus. That's that's too heavy. I can't do that because they can't see. They don't have eyes to see what lies ahead." So as I started the evening this morning, uh, evening earlier, I began the night talking about a specific story of a specific man and his tremendous loss in his life. But I left some stuff out. So after he received the telegraph from his wife, he jumped on a boat to go to London, obviously to weep, to mourn, and to be with his wife after the loss of their entire family. And as he's on that boat, about the place that they get to where they believe the nautical miles where the accident happened, the captain brought him and showed him the chart book and said, this is where where your family went down. And because of that boat ride and because of the struggle of the believer who was smashed to bits, I can only imagine. Because of that, we sang lyrics to a song tonight that that man wrote after he sat on that boat, understood where the wreck was, They don't know if he went back to his cabin on board the boat or if he wrote it at a later date. But I have some song lyrics that I put up here. And it's the first verse to the line to the song, It is well with my soul. And after I heard the story, the lyrics mean a lot more now than they ever did before. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul He chose to have faith in God more than what he thought could could create with his own mind what he believed what he felt He just You just see a man who just says, you know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And whatever you do, whatever you do to me is good and worthy and worth it. The man's name was Horatio Spafford. And the other part of the story is that He took his whole family, they left Chicago, they moved to Jerusalem, and they became missionaries. And they served another seven or eight years until he died of malaria and his wife continued. Mitchell, you guys can come up. but much like we see lived out from the saints in Scripture like Paul, James, Job, Joseph, King David, or even a more recent in history saint like Horatio Spafford. Paul tells us in Romans 8, one of my favorite places in scripture to get encouragement. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Believer, I really want you to listen to me. Please hear my voice. When you are at home and you are praying and you are begging God to move on something, even if he doesn't move the way you want him to move, he hears you. Every single tear you shed will be rewarded back to you more than you can possibly imagine. Can you imagine sitting with the king as a son? There's nothing that he can't give you. He created your heart in every desire that it has. The godly ones, he created your heart all the same and knew you were gonna struggle. He knew you were gonna be broken. He knew there were gonna be situations and times in your life that you can't do it. You don't have the strength and even if you did, You'd still have to have seven or eight of your Christ followers, friends dragging you. I texted the pastor team the other night as I was reading. And at the end of the book of Colossians, at the end of the first chapter of the book of Colossians, Paul's writing to the church. He's, in, he's, he's thrown in a lot of his own testimony and a lot of his personal struggle as an apostle and what that struggle looks like for him. But the thing he said that I really want to encourage you guys, starting in verse 28, he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And Paul says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And what that meant to me, I just felt timely, I just felt that to share with you guys, because what that meant to me is the Apostle Paul saying, hey, the Great Commission has already been laid down. I don't need the Holy Spirit for motivation. Paul's saying, I'm going to go and I'm going to proclaim the gospel and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to struggle through it and I'm going to warn the people that don't want to hear and I'm going to encourage and love on the people that do want to hear. But regardless of what happens, I'm going to push on. And I'm going to trust that the Lord's going to slow me down if I'm walking too fast or he's going to speed me up if I'm walking too slow or he's going to turn. He's going to direct my path. He's going to, he is going to take care of me, but I am going to move. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to read this word and push forward. He was writing it, but God was writing it on his heart first. He knew the truth even as he was pinning it so just with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning I not only want to encourage you in the struggle of whatever you have going on but I want to encourage you past that I want to encourage you to be intentional in that struggle and to know that that struggle as you are pushing for the sake of loving your neighbor Or the sake of preaching the gospel to somebody at work and getting out of your comfort zone or sharing sharing a a seat at at lunch with somebody that you wouldn't normally share just to be intentional to push the gospel. To push the gospel. And so this evening, I want to challenge the believers in the room. Just like Carl said earlier, If you are struggling with something now, the biggest lie from the enemy that can be crammed into your mind is that you're alone, nobody's ever felt this before, nobody's going to understand, they're going to hear my struggle and they're going to condemn me. Whatever, Whatever the enemy is saying, we just bind that and we cast it out in the name of Jesus. This is a free place to make your struggle known and the Holy Spirit is going to grow you through that if you'll step out in faith and be intentional about it and if you're here this evening and you genuinely don't have a walk with Jesus and you genuinely don't know Jesus then I want to tell you his gospel, in that you are broken and in every way not good enough. Jesus knew that when he built you. He knew that when he knitted you together. He knew every failing you were going to have up to this point and even every failing you're going to have after you meet him and walk with him. And he loves you and he still wants you everything about our God is intentional. And he came. Jesus, who was God in heaven, stepped down from his deity and came in the form of a man to suffer. The book of Isaiah says he was a man acquainted was sorrow. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And if the captain of our salvation had sorrows, so will we. But he promises to love you through them and to live in you. It's Christ in you. When you walk with him, he comes and lives in you and he conducts your life and he changes your heart and he gives you areas of your heart that you didn't know existed and he creates new ones he takes the entire heart out and gives you a new heart with a new mind and new motivations and a new identity in him and so if you are here this evening and you are an unbeliever while we sing this next song please come get myself please come get Pastor Cody please grab Carl Please don't let the tradition of a church service keep you. Uh, is this the right time? Every time is the right time. It's always the right time. And if we have to stay here, if I have to stay here till 2 in the morning to talk with you and pray with you, sleep is easily, easily done away with. It's that serious, it's that critical that you talk with somebody tonight. So it doesn't matter if you pull one of us away while we're singing. We want to talk with you. We want to lead you to Jesus. We want to take you to his feet. And Jesus will save you. If you cry out to him with an honest heart, he will save you. So as we enter this time of worship, just remember that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope will never put us to shame because the love of Jesus Christ has been shed abroad in our hearts, the light of hope.